Alonzo. Touchdown. Brandon Cooks. David Johnson. Reaching. Touchdown. Throwing. Into the end zone. Farrell Brown hit the upright and bounced through. Oh, you can't make it up. You can't make it up. The foundation of this program. We, I mean, there's no real, real foundation if you everyone see it, everyone know that. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Some discipline, responsibility, and some good, fun energy that, you know, cares about winning championships and winning games. But And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What Podcast Talking. You're Houston Texans, straight from the Great British Isles, joined by Corey Stutes from Sports Illustrated and in the group chat podcast as we've finally got there. It's over. The Texans finish 4-12. and Another epic Deshaun performance, only again to be let down by the defence. And now the, the search turns to a head coach in a GM opening. Corey, after another one uh, where you just... I mean, for for the neutral, right, it was a good game, but I think just in some ways a poignant end with the, the dunk off the off the upright and maybe a bit of relief that's over. It, it was it was fascinating to watch the I mean, I, I was sitting there and I'm I'm riding and I'm getting ready to for the game to end and I'm just thinking, how are they gonna screw this up? And and when Deshaun gets them down there to get the field goal, I'm like, okay, well overtime, like uh, well, I, I don't like their chances in overtime, but maybe. You know, just, just maybe, you know. And then, I mean, A.J. Brown happens, and it's, you know, the, the doink field goal and fitting in. Yeah, fitting in to a miserable season, but a miserable season that has a very clear – I mean, I, I liken this to being um, – the way I would describe it is like you're stranded on the side of the road. You know your car is just – you know, a, a disaster, you know, that you need new wheels and you probably need, uh, you know, some new windows and you need a new battery and you're out of washer fluid. Um, but you know, you know that you have a good engine in there. So even if you have to destroy everything else, you got a great engine to put in the next vehicle and that's Deshaun Watson. And yet again, he showed it. And that's probably the best part about this season by far is that Deshaun Watson took it to another level. And that's without help. That's without uh, a fully competent uh, staff top to bottom, left to right around him. And then that's just a huge bright spot on what was a very nasty season for this Texans team. Yeah, I don't know if anybody can take any positivity that we're only a defense away because it's, it's a long journey to get there, I think. But um, it's weird because you think of the 2018 season when – uh, you know, where we thought you're probably just a couple of corners away, you know, or, you know, when you're watching Sharice Wright get rolled out there and you think, you know, what's this, you know, going to only get better, just keep this unit together. And you probably only needed a couple of pieces on either side of the ball um, and for it to just completely vanish um, on that side of the ball. You know, you think in your division, you've got two, you know, the top two teams that have finished at the AFC South Summit can run the ball, and when you can't defend the run for shit, then it just it just makes everything so ridiculous. I mean, we've only in two games this year. I've been the only time we've led time of possession. We've just had, you know, for too long the defense on the field and our offense on the side of the field watching on, and it was just another one to another one to chalk up there. But I think the the Sean season, Cody, in terms of you know not only leading the league and up, and Mahomes didn't play. The final week, um, he was he was resting up for and gets another week to rest as well. 
this uh, this year and before they kick off the playoffs. But I mean, to lead the league in passing and, and do it on a 70 percent completion rate, to have the highest QBR of his of his career, with considering all the moving you know revolving doors, you know, it previously we'd experienced that. A revolving door or a revolving cast of quarterbacks, and this year it was a revolving cast of wide receivers and even and even alignment. Um, but it, it didn't really matter, and I think that's probably the testament now to this point in his career how much he's grown. And I think there's still more growth left in his tank. It's um, it's it's really interesting. It's really fascinating to watch Deshaun Watson do this. And I went through the other day, and I think I I I determined that I think ten. Of the past 13 passing leaders missed the playoffs. Uh, Drew Brees has done it like five times. Um, typically, it's Tom Brady and Peyton Manning that make the playoffs as the passing leader in the NFL. And so I hope Deshaun Watson never gets close to being the passing leader ever again. I don't want him to be the passing leader ever again because if he's not, that means that other stuff has clicked. That means that other stuff's doing well. That means that they have scored early in the first quarter, in the second quarter, and we don't have to worry about them having to play catch-up ball, and then they've been able to run the football and grind out opponents, and maybe the defense scores every now and then. But it you brought up something that's scary for the rest of the NFL and something that is beautiful for people who watch the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson may not be done evolving. Deshaun Watson may not be done in improving. And Deshaun Watson might have another level of his game that we haven't seen. Unless Tim Kelly is somehow, some way, the offensive coordinator for the Texans right now, if he's somehow, some way, mysteriously, magically a genius and we didn't know it and he unlocked all this into Deshaun Watson, then maybe Deshaun's as good as he's going to get. But my thought process would be the next group, the next staff, the next team with consistent wide receivers, with healthy wide receivers, with a better rushing attack, are going to unlock a whole other level of Deshaun Watson. And even though statistically – it may not take him to a different level, but if it just improves on top of what he's already got, even though if the statistics don't jump off the page at you, you're talking about an elite scare the other team quarterback week in and week out. And he may already be at that scare the other team quarterback level. Yeah. And I think we've just, because we've been behind so much, I think that's been the biggest issue and, you know, constantly chasing games and then you're going to rack up yards and you've racked up yards through the air just simply because you couldn't run it. Um, at all, you know, apart from the last few weeks, when actually just simplified the run game and and made it easier for uh, David Johnson to just make one cut runs, but you know, more easy inside zone concepts to actually, you know, just just focus on rather than trying to be the, trying to spread ourselves too thin across all different types of running games and just being terrible at them all. And I, and uh, that that's the bit that I come back to with Tim Kelly and and. Deshaun touched on that on his in his presser at the, at the end of the game that you know that he, he put a word in. Um, I, I think Tim Kelly's got the best out of him, but I, I don't think that says much considering the co- level of coaches and the level of calling that O'Brien and George Godsey and and you know the various others that have been around as QB coach. I I come back to the point of you know the running game just wasn't there. And I think that's a fail for Tim Kelly, even though if it's in his first year. I don't know how much that has to do with Mike Devlin dicking about with the game plans and, and you know, and okay, we're going to run power this week and not very well. And then we're going to go zone because we think that's the best matchup. I don't know how much that is on Devlin. But I just keep coming back to if you were to do, you know, a third of your job, not in any of any note, you know, you'd be in, you'd be in trouble. And I think that's basically yeah. what Tim Kelly's done by not being able to, to, to get a fight to run game this year. 
I getting away from Bill O'Brien was huge for Tim Kelly. Certainly big for his career and, and big for his development. And it was big for Deshaun Watson as well in in that um, in this season. The tough part about assessing Tim Kelly is yes, the passing attack it, it, it was fantastic. How much of that's Deshaun? How much of that's off script? How much of that's Deshaun making the most of a situation beyond what Tim Kelly played? You mentioned the rushing attack. Worst rushing attack, um, or second worst rushing attack in football. Only Pittsburgh was worse in overall yards and yards per game. Uh, they allowed the most sacks in the AFC, so that's not great. Um, they were a middling team on some of those like third down stats and things like that that you you, you pay attention to. But again, that's sort of Deshaun um, more so than it's Tim Kelly. So I think it would be great for Tim Kelly to get away from Deshaun Watson, and then that gives him an opportunity to prove what he's capable of. And I think, like I mentioned a moment ago, this next staff, this next crew that comes in and coaches up Deshaun Watson, um, I just I, I have to have a belief that they're better at coaching offense than Tim Kelly is. So I'm excited to see what Watson's potential is. Yeah, because I, I think you go back to the point of who would have given Tim Kelly this job. And I think he's done an admirable job of Watson and he's going to, you know, cr- you know, he has added to his development. There's no doubt about it, but what I keep coming back to is there's better minds out there and there's even better, you know, play calls. And I think, you know, I was thinking about what would you change, you know, when you, when you get this new regime in and you've got to always, you know, always think you can do better. And I think that's probably what, you know, Watson may be guilty of and probably just out of pure loyalty and the guy that he is, you know, and he came out, you know, at the end of last season when he could have probably put the dagger on O'Brien in the press conference and said, you know, I love that man, <laughs> which was, which was, you know, uh, you could see, you, know, you could almost feel the feel the despair at the times because you felt you know maybe that was a chance for him to go uh, after that KC implosion. And then you've got this, you know, you've got this kind of loyalty, and I get it why it is, but I think he has to understand he's got he's got more to more to give and better minds and better play callers and probably a better scheme to suit him. I think will be will go a long way if we could get that. And I think just a running back with some juice in their legs as well would make a huge difference. Sure. Because when, when was the last time we've had a rookie running back come in? Probably Ben T come in reasonably high pick and just and give him the ball. I can't, I can't remember the last one, you know. Well, it's you know, it's tough because I I was not opposed at all to draft a running back with that with that second round pick, even though the team had Duke Johnson, even though the team had yeah. David Johnson. I mean, ideally, I mean, let's be very real about where we are. Ideally. Uh, they should have kept DeAndre Hopkins and then used one of those that used their second round pick on a running back. And then you could have had some juice. I'm not saying you could have got Jonathan Taylor or you could have got JK Dobbins, but you could have found somebody with some juice. There's some running backs that have certainly uh, brought more to the table than Duke and David Johnson. Um, or, you know, you could have paid Carlos Hyde the five, seven, eight million or whatever he wanted and just kept him. And then maybe DeAndre Hopkins is still here. I, I, you know, I don't know, but you, you brought it up. Juice. I want that next running back to have juice. I don't care if he's, you know, five foot nine and speedy. I don't care if he's uh, a hammer that really only gets you, you know, seven to eight yards at max. But you know, you can trust him to get those tough yards. But I, I would be interested. And this is this is tough because you may have a whole new running back room. Just based on the the financial commitments to Duke Johnson to David Johnson, you may have a whole new running back room if you decide to move on from both of the Johnsons. And I don't know 
how difficult it would be for Deshaun Watson, the offensive line, if it just if it was just say three new faces at running back. I don't know how tough that would be, but I also don't know what the approach is of the next head coach because we don't know who the next head coach is yet. Yeah, and you know, and on the weapons that Deshaun's had around him, I thought Brandon Cooks probably his day probably summed up the season as well. I think in terms of it was good, but it just wasn't enough. And I thought you know a great day, 166 yards. You know, on just uh, you know, just 13, 12, 13 completions, and but but the big moment and the final drive, he drops a ball, and I, I think that's those conc- all those concussions and all the banks he's had playing on his mind slightly, and I think he was waiting for contact, drops an easy easy completion, puts you behind the chains, and also he doesn't keep his doesn't drag his toes in um, right at the end of the first half, and you lose four off the board there as well, so. You know, it was a great day uh, for Cooks, and you know, I'd like to explore ways a lower cap number to get him back next year. But I think just a couple of moments like that showed you he's not, and not necessarily does Deshaun need to have a true number one. But it just, I thought his his game just kind of summed up the season as well in the microcosm of it. Well, the way I look at Brandon Cooks is find me a guy that for twelve games looked more in sync with his quarterback. Then Cooks looked with Deshaun Watson. It looked like those two guys were on the pay on the same page for twelve games. And I say twelve games because those first four games, Brandon Cooks was persona non grata. Uh, Bill O'Brien, I guess, didn't know how to use him, or they couldn't figure out a way to use him, or whatever. But I like Brandon Cooks. I, you mentioned the money. I don't see him sticking at the current money, um, just because I don't think he wants to stick at the current money. I think he'd probably love a little bit of guaranteed cash to be added to his situation. And I, I just watching that game, I th- sat there and thought how hilarious it was that anybody thought about trading Brandon Cooks when he's really the only for sure reliable wide receiver on this team, even if you bring back Will Fuller, even if Randall Cobb comes back healthy, even with Kiki QT's development. Brandon Cooks, the only reliable guy you have, you got to keep him. I don't know what the financial situation is ultimately going to be. I would guess that they lower his overall number while adding guaranteed money to his contract just to give themselves a little breathing room to spend elsewhere on that defense probably. So I think Brandon Cooks is around. And I think Brandon Cooks is back. And I think Deshaun Watson and Brandon Cooks have just got started. Yeah, I think so. And I think he's. it takes a while um, to get that chemistry. you know, and, he, and you see it with Watson. It doesn't take him too long. And Cooks has still got, got some speed. I don't think he's quite the elite burner that he was when when you probably saw him burn us against New England uh, in, in 2017 when he was there for a the year. But um, I, I think he, he's he's a weapon that I don't, as, as you said, Cody, I think it's the same as Bradley Roby. I just think when you when you need players at that position, it's probably hard to turn him away until, you know, when you've got a sure thing in this offseason, it's going to be a transition. We're probably going to need to be careful of how many, how many leaves you turn over because you don't want to be, you know, left bare as we get into next season because we've seen what happens when you do that too often on one side of the ball, as we did on this defence. And looking back on the Brandon Cooks trade, I thought a second was probably rich, and it probably still is rich now after we see it for a season. But as you said, I don't, you know, it's the first time we've had a wide receiver not named DeAndre Hopkins or not named DeAndre Johnson, um, you know, go over a thousand yards in a season. So it's not to be sniffed at. I think he's got to be, it's like the Carlos Hyde thing, right? It's, you've got to be careful what you wish for. Yeah, no doubt about that. And, um, it, certainly the acquisition of Brandon Cooks was expensive. It played into the post-DeAndre Hopkins Houston Texans, so it's a little bit tougher to stomach. But ultimately, um, 
ultimately, I, I, I do believe Brandon Cooks is going to be a solid aspect, a solid asset for this team um, for at least another year. And, and hopefully really, uh, hopefully really two, two more years. I mean, and if he plays two more really solid years, you would hope at that time, um, you would hope at that time that you've done a good job of adding um, a contender for his playing time, some depth to the organization. Cause right now, I mean, there's, 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 you know, it, and it's tough to have depth at wide receiver because typically you only keep five and four of them play. Uh, but I don't, I don't see a contender for depth. I don't see a contender for Cooks' playing time, um, you know, in the pipeline on this, on this team. Yeah. And I suppose pro- partly why we're in a lot of this mess was trades and another trade that probably stuck, you know, reared its head up again. Another game that Tunso doesn't start. And I look nothing against. Laramie, you know, he's probably top three or four pass protectors in the league. Questionable on the run, but I thought another game, and look, not a great front. When you've got Brooks Reed coming on and making sacks and, you know, you know they're desperate and all the, the Clowney and the, the, the Beasley experiments not panned out for Tennessee, and I think that'll be their undoing in the playoffs. They can't rush the, the quarterback. But again, again, another outing where they actually ran the ball better and the pass protection overall, I thought Charlie Heck did a good job. Rod Johnson looks like he's, you know, he's he's serviceable. Um, both the guys, you know, swing tackle level, maybe you know, solid sort of B to C level backups. But another game where you weren't, where you lost tons, so but there's not a huge drop off. And I think when you when you look at that compensation, you know, in isolation, um, and it, like if you look at what if you look at Watson's performances with. Tunsil in the lineup has has the dramatically improved when he's there, and I think it has against you know good edge rushers. But you know for your for your average game season on season, I don't think the the omission of Tunsil dramatically you know lowers this offense's productivity. Tunsil's uh, Tunsil's addition is fascinating. You know his spot on this team is going to be a controversial one as long as Laramie Tunsil's on this team because. My hope was when they drafted Titus Howard, just put him at left tackle. Titus Howard had played left tackle. He played right tackle. He's a physical specimen. They clearly believed in him. Um, that year, I was hoping the Texans would get bookend tackles. I was hoping for Andre Dillard in the first, Titus Howard in the second. That probably was a bit foolish by me, considering where Titus ended up going. Um, I probably thought there were guys more ready than Titus Howard for the NFL. But Titus Howard is... Um, he, he kind of strikes me as a, um, a prodigy. He picks things up. He rarely makes the same mistake. Unfortunately, he's finished the year injured twice in two seasons. So that's not great. Two different injuries though. Um, so, you know, not a ton of concern there, but I would have liked to have seen Titus Howard play left tackle. Unfortunately, that training camp, they never gave him the shot. They made the big commitment to Laramie Tunsil. And you brought up an interesting aspect of the fact that Roderick Johnson and Charlie Hecker on this team, you know, I, I, Charlie Heck played well for a fourth round pick that had only played what two games all season. Um, but I just don't feel like Charlie Heck should be on this team. I feel like they, they draft, they use that draft pick on the wrong position um, in the fourth round. Uh, they should have used it on uh, a wide receiver or a cornerback or a running back because Roderick Johnson was on this team. Roderick Johnson was the swing tackle and Roderick Johnson um, was going to be on this team in, in 2020. So I would have rather have seen a, you know, sort of a lottery ticket, so to speak, um, in that fourth round instead of Charlie Heck. I would have rather seen a wide receiver. I mean, Gabriel Davis for the Bills, I think, went two picks later. And Gabriel Davis had, I think, 600 yards this year, five touchdowns. He's a, he's a game breaker, takes the top off of the defense. This is a guy that you could have played 
uh, if Will Fuller got hurt. So I, I'm not unhappy with the tackle situation, but I'm not thrilled with the tackle situation because I think they've just started to scratch the surface. I think they're as good as they can be on their own. Once this offensive line gels, you know, left tackle to right tackle, I was really disappointed with those three inside spots. Once that gels, I think we're going to see even a better level from Laramie Tunsil, even a better level from Titus Howard, because I think as as individual watch them on their own, they're as good as they're going to be. Once the O-line gels totally, I think that they could go to, an, to another level of success. At least that's what you have to hope for, because they've both been heavily invested in different ways. Yeah, I think it's tough, isn't it? Because you just think we've just overspent on a unit. It's, it's just It shows you when you're down to the bare bones and backups that actually when they're playing well, those guys actually ran the inside zone game pretty, you know, arguably better than some of the starters are out. Um, you've got a position perhaps that, you know, two, if not, yeah, one and definitely, if not two, the interior three will probably change. And I don't think, you know, that would, you're probably going to save money by doing that. But I just thought another interesting facet is you look back on that trade that it's ultimately going to probably, with all probability, be looked back on as an overspend and a, perhaps a rash move as, of one of many. Um, final breaths of the Anthony Weaver defence, um, probably summed up perfectly by A.G. Moore trying to trying to drive on a dig when, uh, when Keon Crossan was one-on-one with A.G. Brown on the outside. And it just, you know, and I think Frank Wright was quoted saying, you know, watching it after their game and finishing, what is that coverage? But that play probably just summed up the defense in the sense that probably that, and then the one, the touchdown, the second touchdown to Derek Henry, where he's just cut back into the flat and just walked it in at the end zone with no one anywhere near him, and just safety linebacker. We need to overhaul, I think, this team because we can't. You know, there's so many fundamental basics that the guys just don't get right. It's um, it's tough because at one point this year, I thought the defense was playing well enough to at least consider keeping Anthony Weaver around. Should you hire? a offensive-minded head coach, or even if you hire a defensive-minded head coach that's sort of on the same wavelength as Anthony Weaver. Um, I mean, they, they pitched a shutout against the Colts uh, earlier this year in a half of football, and the, the Texans lost the football game. And I, I wondered aloud, how often does a team shut out the opposing team for a half of football and, and lose the game? Um, they did well against the Steelers for a half of football, and the offense couldn't you know, take care of business. Uh, you know, there's just been different times this year where the off, where the defense has played decent, and when you think about the lack of overall talent on the defensive side of the football, um, that's an impressive quality, and that's an impressive result. Unfortunately for Anthony Weaver, unfortunately for the Houston Texans, there are far too many inexplicable performances where what happened here, why did this happen, how does this happen, um, I believe Anthony Weaver is going to be a highly sought-after position coach. Uh, I believe he'll be a position coach for one season. I think he'll get another shot at a defensive coordinator spot. And then I think after a couple of years of D.C., I think he'll be in the head coaching running for some different teams. I really like Anthony Weaver. I believe in Anthony Weaver. Um, and I, I would I would liken this to the year Mike Vrabel had the worst defense in football and then ended up as a, a head coach coming off of that. It's not always the result of the defense that we can judge these guys on and people in the NFL, certainly Anthony Weaver are going to know a little bit more about what the production of this defense looked like and how much of that was on Anthony Weaver and what he decided to call and how much of that was on what Anthony Weaver called and the ability of the players to execute it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, 
I think it's a lot of a, a lot of movement, and I think the injuries on the back end didn't help them. Trying to play Vernon Hargreaves and as an outside corner, you know, it's never going to happen. The linebackers consistently biting on play action. Just you know, the, the AG Brown on third down was just money every time, and it. I think Weaver at times he's like I think you when you first saw him speak when he first got the you know into Houston as a as a player um, and obviously then as a coach but you you felt head coach and waiting but I, I think he's just tried to overthink himself at times because of lack of talent and then and then other times the basics have just gone out the window and I, I don't know how much you know was that rack Medlin you know he obviously blew up in the press conference and. About people saying about guys not following their gaps and assignments, but I think ultimately when you've got no talent up front, there's only so much you can do, and you just can't you know defend the run. And it, I, I don't know, but I think at times you know if you think of the New England game as probably the best they played as a unit all season, it was because they were aggressive. And I think for whatever reason, if it was Rack's meddling, they just got away from that aggressiveness too many times. Yeah, it's um, you know, I would have, I. W- I don't think there's a, a huge downside to being extremely aggressive in the Texans defensive situation because it's going to set you up more often than not to end up with your offense back on the field. Either the other team scores or you yeah. make some big plays and you make it happen. Um, I, I wish they would have been more aggressive at different times this year. Far too many you know, rush three situations. Far too many Carlos Watkins dropping into coverage. Um I, again, I, I I believe in Anthony Weaver. I don't believe in the in the talent on this defense, and so that that's where I'm going to uh, let you know twenty twenties defense rest is. You know, I, I think that when we look back at the rest of the career of everyone involved with this Texans defense, you know, Anthony Weaver's got probably the brightest spot left. Yeah, I think so, and I think he's, he's definitely a, a leader. And I yeah, and you like just on. On the offensive side of the ball, you just don't know what you know how good the coaching has been, uh, because you know Bar Mike Vrabel, you know did a good job with Marcellus and Clowney, and okay, talented guys at one point, certainly not this year for either of them. But the amount of coaching that's been able to help them, these guys go and produce within the, the confines of the scheme. Lonnie Johnson, I don't know what DeAnton Lynn's done with the guy, um, because he looks like a guy that doesn't know how to play safety. Um, so why that move? You know, and the various moves, it's just too many. Eric Murray on the back end, you know, there's just too many guys in there that just can't, when you can't rush and when you can't cover, you've just got to go, just go all out and and, and try and th- throw as many darts at the board as you can. He did that at times, but yeah, look, I do hope we, we've gets a job somewhere else in the league because uh, he seems like a, a guy who's got a future as a coach and he's just probably been dealt a shorthand by O'Brien and, and, uh, and Easterby's team building. Um, talking of such, uh, the comments of Deshaun at the end of the game, I've noticed actually they've taken the second comment he made off about multiple people thinking they had power. They've removed that from YouTube uh, when I went to watch the clip back just to get the word in right. Obviously, that was about somebody. If they've taken it down, you've got to think. It's, um, you know, I, it, it, most people would jump to. And when I heard that, I, I texted multiple people and I said, read this. Take your uh, take your knowledge of what you know about the Houston Texans, and tell me who you believe Deshaun Watson is talking about when he talks about multiple people with multiple ideas, and 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 then he uses the power word. And because I don't want it to be confirmation bias, I didn't want it to be one of those situations where I immediately jump to what I believe the obvious to be. And all three of those people texted me back and said, "Well, it seems to me like he's talking about 
um, Jack Easterby. And yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's my, that was my thought too. Um, certainly Jack Easterby is a hot button topic. Uh, Jack Easterby, we should, we should know less about the, um, what is it? The, the executive of the executive vice president of football operations. We should know less about that position going forward for the rest of time than we do about Jack Easterby and some of the things there. Uh, I, my question would be if Deshaun Watson feels that way, if Deshaun Watson has that type of thought, um, then has he, has he stated that to Cal McNair? Because he, he just casually threw in that he had spoken to Cal McNair um, the previous day. So, you know, I guess Sunday night after everything was all said and done, he, talking, he talked to Cal McNair. I, roughly, that's kind of what he said. Uh, we know that they had dinner. Has Deshaun Watson voiced these concerns that he feels this way, that there are too many ideas, that there are too many people who think they have power, and that he wants this one true leader? Um, and if he if he has voiced that, has he also voiced, I also don't want that person to be Jack Easterby, which would be, you know, because if Cal McNair hears that, he's like, okay, well, Jack's going to be our leader. Well, no, that's not really what I wanted. Um, but yes, yeah, so he was talking about Jack Easterby, in my opinion. I don't know for sure. Only Deshaun Watson knows for sure. Um, but you know, certainly a hot, buck, hot and button topic that, that is Jack Easterby. And it's not really what I mean, we, we can talk in the face till we're blue about what Jack Easterby has done. It's, it's, be, it's, be, it's in the past. It can't be changed. We can, you know, study it. We can assess it. Uh, but there's nothing we can do to change it. What, what the Texans can do to change is going forward what Jack Easterby has a say in, which, in my opinion, should be nothing. So going forward, that's what we need to know about Jack Easterby. And we just don't know that. The Texans maybe even don't know that yet. I know they can say that you know the, the next general manager is going to decide, but Cal McNair is going to decide as well because Cal McNair writes the checks and he decides who does what and who gets paid what. And so it, it's it's it is it is a unique situation, um, and I oftentimes I think people overuse the word anxious when they talk about stuff that they are actually excited to watch. Um, I'm literally anxious about what Jack Easterby's future with the Texans is and what that means for the organization. Yeah, I think I saw. I noticed Brian T. Smith. You'll remember him from uh, such incidents as it doesn't matter. Brian, uh, AFC Championship champions two years in a row. Brian, um, it was probably the famous uh, O'Brien moment from one of his press conferences. Um, but he, he, even he tweeted out, "It's clear, but if you're reading between the lines, is bold, but it's clear that the Texans players don't want him." And obviously, your colleagues, Cody, you know, put out that rather damning article of, of uh, Easter being a couple of people I've spoken to have said there's more in there um, than, than's been released. Um, so if that's all led to be true and then your star quarterback, the only asset that's attractive to, to taking this team forward, because if you take the shot off this team and we've got to remember he only signed a, a three-year extension, if you if you take him off this team, this is you know one of the, well, you know by draft order, but the third worst in this uh, in this league right now. So I think hopefully this is a watershed moment um, for it and everybody wants to move on. And the Easterby thing, I think, has probably been done to death and he's completely vilified what we truly know. Um, if, if that vilification is correct, it would seem so when it's, you know, it's pretty much 
all but being said by your star quarterback as a frustration of his at the end of the season. I think that's quite a unique position to be in. I think the fact that it's got to that point that he's you know he's willing to say that, and I thought it was a really candid interview from him when actually he's he's kind of a positivity kind of guy, almost verging on childlike at times. Um, in the way he kind of comes across. Now, I don't think that's that's in his in his mantra as an athlete. He's obviously a you know dedicated winner, but I thought that was a big change of position by him. And maybe he felt like now the season was over, he could say that. I don't know. I um, I think the, the you brought it up there. Deshaun Watson is not. Um, you know, there's there's this big theory about uh, toxic positivity. I don't believe Deshaun Watson is toxically positive. No, I believe yeah. Deshaun Watson sees positivity, and I believe Deshaun Watson sees negativity, and he attempts to remove negativity. And I, I, I forget the guy's name, um, you know. And and I, I've been accused of being overly positive before, and I forgot the. He wrote a book with Russell Wilson. Um, it's sort of a self help guy, but it's also like a positivity, um, uh, a positivity thing. Or, or, or Russell Wilson wrote the forward. His name's Trevor Trevor Moad, um, and his thing is, you don't have to always think positive, but sometimes you just have to think less negative. And if if you're looking at the Texans' future, it's really hard to think positive. You can think really negative about the Texans' future, but I think what Deshaun Watson, I think the Texans who are going to be on this team, the organization going forward, just think less negative. And a way to think less negative about this team is to not have Jack Easterby there, who has been a source of negativity for this team. So again, I think Deshaun Watson's thing was more about thinking less negative than like being like blindly positive about this thing. Like, hey, let's remove some of the negativity that creates negativity so that and it doesn't have to be replaced with positivity. We can be successful. We can get a net gain if we just take negativity away. That's kind of what I think he was getting at with like, Hey, let's, you know, let's, let's remove some of this negativity. So it's a net gain, even though we don't replace it with positivity. Yeah. I think like, even when you go back to like the Kenny stills just being released in the middle of the season and he basically said he didn't want to be here. And that wasn't wholly down to the fact he wasn't getting any snaps. And I think that, you know, it's just small moves like that. And I just, you know, myself and Mike Meltzer talked about that on here that, you know, I had a theory just before that that week that he was done and he just didn't want to be here. And when when that then spreads over to your players, that's that's a direct output of all the stuff that's going on in the background. And he used the word that, you know, I'm happy to put up those numbers in a dysfunctional year. So I think it's when it, you know, when it, it, sh- it starts to spill onto the practice field because, People are changing schedules late night, or what you know, or the kind of some of that. You know, examples, you know, or pe- players that have been followed to their home and things like that. The examples that were outlined in the SI article from some of your colleagues, Corey. I think it's when it's probably Deshaun is one of those guys that can live with most of the stuff going on around him. But when it starts to affect him and his quest to win, obviously it did in personnel. But then when it does to the day to day workings of it, he tries to work with the guys he's got. I think that was maybe him just saying, look, this season's been too much, even for me. Yeah, he's dealt with so much stuff that a star quarterback shouldn't have to deal with that takes take some of that off of his plate going forward and potentially see how much better uh, he can end up being. That, that would be uh, a fascinating look into the future of Deshaun Watson. And you think of all the, all, the, all the candidates that are out there, and I think it's really tough 
unless you're in football circles to know who's a good GM and who's a bad GM. There's so many, you know, in theory on paper, looking at the resume, qualified guys out there that could come in and do a job. And let's be honest, it's the only way he's up, I think, both from the from the front office and the coaching staff, considering where we've been the last 18 months. The note of Casario um, still being the apple of Kyle's eye. Now, I think I, I, I noted a point on Twitter that somebody made that they said that, you know, he was the front runner before. Somebody probably still going to have to knock him off that front runner spot. Now that the league's changed, you know, removed that whole tampering period that or the whole tampering allegation for New England, they've removed that by the law in the NFL or a rule rather that you can't put that in people's contracts, <laughs> which is quite ironic when you think of it. It's probably the 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 tipping point for a lot of this downfall. Um, but what did you think when you saw the Casario name? I know there's um, due diligence to be done, but again, it probably just made the franchise come over as slightly tone deaf as they often do. I um my good buddy Landry Locker um he he has been a Casario proponent for a very long time uh, he he's thumbs up on Nick Casario I I call him the president of the Nick Casario fan club and he he lays it out in a pretty good way and and the way he puts it is everybody who has left New England none of them have been there for the entirety of its success like Nick Casario has been. Casario has been there almost from the very beginning in New England. He's done a bunch of different jobs from a coaching job to a front office job to a wide receivers coach in 2007 when they had one of the most prolific offenses ever. And that was Wes Welker's first year as a full-time wide receiver. That was Randy Moss with one of the greatest receiving seasons ever. Casario was the position coach that year. Um, He's been a part of the front office. He's been on the headset during games um, there's a lot to like about Nick Casario. He's put together a lengthy resume and a, a varied resume that is really tough to match from some of these candidates. That being said, how much of his success do you attribute to Bill Belichick? How much of his success do you attribute to Tom Brady coming covering up some of the mistakes that that organization has made? Because I thought you saw some of the warts of the Patriots development or the, the Patriots build, so to speak this season, they lacked depth. They lacked the overall talent. I know they had some guys opt out. Um, and I know they found some solid players that other teams, you know, maybe didn't see coming into this season. Um, the Jackson kid, the corner who was fantastic, who I think had, you know, the third most interceptions in football. Okay. That's a really good find by them. Um, but you know, that find looks better when you got the quarterback situation in hand. Maybe that's part of the thought process is like, Okay, Tom Brady covered up maybe this or that for the Patriots and for Casario. Deshaun Watson can cover this or that up. Um, the guy's got a great resume. The New England stink is is tough for people um, to to not see the Patriot way and to see the Patriot way fail everywhere else. Most fans, myself included, I fall into this category. If it's going to work, I'd prefer that it works somewhere else and not work in Houston, just because. The, the commitment to the Patriot way has scorned us. You know, the, the, the example I use is you may have a friend who has only ever dated women with blonde hair and they've all been crazy. Well, that doesn't mean every woman with blonde hair is crazy, but your friend just so happened to find the few women that were crazy that had blonde hair. Um, and, and maybe he prefers brunettes now. Well, Bill O'Brien, the Patriot way that he tried to do, emulate whatever, 
that was the the crazy woman with blonde hair. And I think most of us don't want to see our friend, the Houston Texans, date another crazy woman with blonde hair in getting Nick Casario. And I would assume Casario would bring, you know, he's got a relationship with Brian Dayball. So maybe that's the guy. Brian Dayball's a really good head coach. Um, but again, p- people are tired of the Patriot situation, and that would be seen as a very Patriot way commitment. And people just want something new. New is always going to be more fun. New is always going to be more exciting. New and different is always going to be more fun than something you're familiar with. And I think that's where people fall to. Yeah, and I, th- I think with the, the Casero, if you take his resume in isolation, I think he, as you said, he's been he's been a coach. He's been there, you know, only only uh, you know for every year bar one that. The Belichick's been there, so yeah. If you want to take the real um, culture and that, you know, as, as, as Deshaun talked about, and you got to think it's right. I think people, I think if you if you said if you gave everybody the option right now and said, look, you can have Nick Casario as your next general manager, like if we if we'd had him and they tried to get him last time, I think we'd be talking about a very different season right now. Um, I do think he is. He's probably got that ability to make that change in a building. Um, but I think he, if if you take him on his own and you you gave everybody the option, it will include no Jack Easterby, um, and it will include a, a head coach who's not from New England. People probably, I don't think people would sniff at that too badly. Um, but you know, time will tell. We're obviously early into the into the uh, the process or the cycle, if you like. Um, got the everybody's probably got all their updates and and alerts set as as they start to come out. Leek Boyd from uh, from the front office in Buffalo was there. Uh, Scott Cohen, um, who's been around the league a long time, um, in in Bal- is now in Baltimore. Trent uh, Kitcher from Seattle Seahawks is also is there. And one actually, a name that came out last night um, was Omar Khan, a salary cap guru, as he was described um, from from Pittsburgh. Over those names, Cody, is there anybody that that instantly stands out to you? They think you know that that could be a guy who could help this team in the front office move this organization forward and back to the levels that it needs to be at. I was interested at the reception that Omar Khan's interview yeah. got yeah. on social media. Yeah. It, it almost felt like everyone was surprised that he even interviewed and that maybe this was a situation where um, people didn't believe he was available. People didn't expect him to move. And, um, the Texans sort of surprised everyone by going this way. Um, it's, it's so tough for me to guess what certain head coaches are, uh, or, excuse me, certain general managers are responsible for what's occurred yeah. underneath them and things of that nature. So it's tough for me to say, oh, well, I know he's done this, or I know he's done that. Um, that's where, you know, someone like John Dorsey, it's a little bit easier to assess what he has been able to do because, you can attribute everything good and bad to a GM. Um, these candidates who have never been GMs before, you certainly get an opportunity. If you're with those guys and you interview, you can say, oh, well, I wasn't involved in that decision. Oh, or actually I was involved in that decision. Um, none of these guys just jump off the page at me. Um, but I, I like where they have been. You know, Malik Boyd um, in Buffalo that's a unique situation that presents some challenges. It's challenging to get free agents there. It's challenging to convince players to go play there. We saw that with Antonio Brown. Um, so he he knows some of the challenges that are unique to non-heritage franchises. Um, Cohen from Baltimore. 
crazy resume. Been a, a lot of different places, been in the NFL for almost, I guess, around 30 plus years now, has been a coach at different times, a former assistant general manager. One of those where it's like, what took him so long to get the opportunity, but also, wow, that what if this is his finally his opportunity? Um, the Seattle uh, fella, uh, Kitchener, you know, has followed John Snyder around for a few years, was in Carolina when they had some success there, when he, he was a scout there and they had some solid uh, pickups, some solid additions to the to the Carolina team. Um, you know, but I think where these guys come from, what 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 have you learned? What have you picked up from the process of the organization that you have been in that you can apply to the Houston Texans? The, the guy from Seattle would tell you, we can't waste any year, any moment of our star quarterback's career. The guy from Baltimore would say, well, we're going to find every bit of limitation of our quarterback, and we're going to make sure that the team is strong so that we limit our limitations. The Pittsburgh guy, you know, hopefully he's got some of that special touch that can help you find wide receivers because they find wide receivers like it's, like it's, you know, like it's easy. Uh, it's not easy. They find them every year, it seems. So, it, it, they're, they're really a lot of fascinating candidates. They probably haven't finished. I'm assuming that there's probably one or two or three more. But I w- I'm interested in it, and we may not know until it's all said and done, which candidate fits, fits with which head coach. Because there's not a ton of crossover and relationship uh, between these guys where it's like, oh, okay, like, yeah, if you hired Malik Boyd, you know, Brian Dayball makes a little bit more sense. But if you hire Omar Khan, you're not hiring someone off the Steelers staff. You know, if you hire Kitchener, you're not hiring someone off of Seattle's staff to be your head coach. So where's the crossover? Who makes sense? I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, and I think that's it's trying to get all the links and all the all the various crossing paths, you know, of these guys when they've been in the league. I think the you, you touched on the Seattle uh, GM uh, Corey, and I think he's potentially a domino effect in all this. Because when when the when the when the uh, cards get turned in after the interviews and they start to make offers to guys in the next, you know, sort of week to ten days, um, if Detroit's pursuit it seems a, a an improbable one, but it seems Detroit are looking to pitch Schneider from uh, Seattle, which would then create another opening and then potentially you know change some people's minds, just like you saw with the, with. Um, Brian Goodenkunst when he got the job in, um, in Green Bay instead of taking the role here before they hired Brian Gaines. So he feels like a bit of a domino chip that might fall and then change the, the the complexion of the landscape in terms of where guys are thinking they might land. It's um, it's it's just, it's a really weird moving parts because you, you brought Goodenkunst. I don't think the Packers truly knew they were going to make him, you know, what they made him until he was sitting down and about to become you know, uh, you know, that uh, a serious candidate for the Texans. And then he goes to the bathroom, answers a call for, you know, the job in green Bay, so to speak, you know, so I, I think sometimes too, agents will say, take this, take this, you know, go interview here. I, I don't think you have a chance to get the job, but that may spurn someone else. And you got a lot of openings. I mean, you got a lot of different interesting situations here from Atlanta to Detroit, um, Denver opening up, looking for a general manager. That's a fascinating opportunity there. Um, you know, a lot of positives, a lot of negatives to a lot of these openings. I don't envy um, the Jets and I don't envy, I mean, I, I do envy the Jets and I envy the Chargers in that they know who their general manager is going forward. They have a pretty solid idea of that guy's talent and they're just looking for a coach. Uh, it, it seems like it'd be very hard, especially when you're you're having limited face-to-face interaction with these guys. It seems like it'd be very hard to hire both a general manager and a head coach 
in what the world is dealing with right now, um, much less any other given season. So I don't envy the the role that these owners um, and decision makers have because it's it's a really tough one, and it really sets your franchise on a certain course for four or five years. And if it doesn't work, it's really hard to turn that course around. So I don't envy the the, the situation that they're all in. I mean, there's no room for error, right? But you think, I mean, they've not approached so so far. Uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it, they've got interviews slated with, you know, probably prematurely maybe just to put the stakes in the ground, but with Matt Eberflus from the Colts, Joe Brady, Carolina, and Arthur Smith, a guy who I think, you know, when you look at what he's good at, could be good for Deshaun. No um, no card being turned or request being turned in for Brian Dable or Eric Bieniemy. Now, I saw that the Brian Dable uh, went to high school with Tom Telesco um, in, uh, from, from the, the the Chargers general manager. So you've got to think that might be a link there and considering a, a spot to step in for an offensive guy and you see what, what Herbert's done this year and if you, potentially, you know, that could be a straightforward one. But of the head coaching candidates, and I know we're kind of, it's going to be all predicated on the GM, but is there anyone that you think is likely for the running? Because um, I think the, the sort of reading between the lines through the last few days, it would feel like they're either, you know, maybe, maybe they're waiting and they want to, you know, kind of approach the, the guy they really want, you know, slightly down the line rather than playing their hand too early, which is sensible. And if they're that, if Cal's that smart, I don't know if Corn Ferry have advised them uh, to do so because it certainly probably wouldn't come from him. Um, but do you, is there a certain a certain coach you think or a certain pairing you think that might be likely at this stage? If they had to hire a coach by the end of the week, if I told you um... – you know, next Monday they're having a press conference to introduce their new head coach. I would tell you that it's going to be Matt Eberflus. But you brought up an interesting point. I believe, and I there's there I have no basis for this. Just then, just based on the fact that Bob McNair was an elite businessman who was from the South and did a lot of business in the South, and a lot of elite businessmen that I know that have to do sales, because this is what you're doing. You're selling the Texans franchise to these guys. A lot of elite businessmen I know want to be the last guy to pitch. They want to be the last voice that that person who has to buy in, they want to be the last voice. And I almost wonder if Cal McNair, his thought process is, let the enemy go interview here. Let the enemy go interview here. Let the enemy go interview here. And then I want to be the last voice that he hears in an interview, which is both a potential positive and a huge negative. Cause Eric Bieniemy may have his mind up by the time he gets to your interview, he may have had his mind made up. He may be drawing up plays for, um, you know, Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons by the time, you know, he, he, he even gets in there to talk to you. But I, I just, my gut feeling is they're not going to go through this process without talking to Eric Bieniemy. Um, I, and I think they want to wait and not talk to him right away. Because let's be clear, Eric Bieniemy is going to have a very long uh, run here, and if you do hire Eric Bieniemy, uh, it's not going to be until February when the Kansas City Chiefs have finished up a Super Bowl run. That would be my expectation. Um, and then the same thing with Dayball. Uh, Brian Dayball basically said, "Hey, I'll, I'll interview, but I'm not interviewing this week. I'm worried about the game." And I think the Bills look around and they think to themselves, "We're going to have a nice long playoff run. Dayball is going to have plenty of time to maybe go on a Tuesday." And, you know, go do a virtual interview, go sit around for a couple hours and, and, you know, Zoom call for these. But right now, let's make sure Josh Allen and everything's tight heading into the playoffs. So um, I, I, I would be shocked if they don't eventually request 
Dayball and Eric Bieniemy and interview both of those guys unless you know a job pops up that those guys like more. I'll be I'll be a little surprised if that doesn't happen. Um, but I feel like they want to be last in on Bieniemy, uh, just sort of like an old school sales technique almost. Yeah, and the, the sort of fashionable pairing that you've seen out there is probably um, Dodds from the the, front, the assistant GM because uh, I think it's Ken Dodds. And, uh, and they've got a tie together from their time at Seattle with Robert Sala. You think he's still in the run? Again, another one that's potentially keeping their powder dry right now. You know, Sala's fascinating because you would think that they'd, ha- they'd have it on the books with him already if um, they were really interested because you can interview him. Um, or, you, or you're trying to get it on the books with him because you can't interview him already because he's not in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I, 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 Robert Sala is one of my favorite candidates. Uh, I believe that he would build one of the best staffs um, for the team overall if he was brought in. There's a slight chance, although I saw Kyle Shanahan mention um, the other, but there's a slight chance that if Robert Sala is the head coach, D'Amico Ryans, the, the Texans, former Texans linebacker, might be your defensive coordinator, which would be fascinating and would be so much fun to have D'Amico back in the organization. Um, and so... Uh, but I think ultimately D'Amico might be the defensive coordinator in San Francisco if Sala leaves, which I do believe Sala's going to leave. Um, still a candidate, really like him. Think he'd build a great staff. I feel like Robert Sala's going to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you're going to have to contend with him for a couple of years instead of contending. Or you're going to have to contend against him instead of contending with him. So I, I just my gut tells me he's going to end up in the Jaguars situation. Um, I don't have any inside knowledge on that. That's just it's just a connection that I feel like fits. Uh, previously coached there, coaching linebackers there, uh, good young defensive talent, lots of ability to add some more defensive talent, and then would bring a Shanahan-style offense that would absolutely crush with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and I think that's what we've, you know, I think we've got to keep that in mind that we're going to have Trevor Lawrence and a team that's got it, you know, has been, you know, not an automatic couple of wins, but it's certainly helped us boost our record in the last couple of years. That's probably not going to be there, particularly with all the, the picks in the salary cap space. They've got, should, should, you know, should they choose to spend it? In terms of timelines on this, do you, do you see the Texans moving in the next couple of weeks? And do you think it's going to be a, I know, a sort of double reveal, if you like, you know, how they did Shanahan and, uh, and Lynch in, in, in San Francisco, just to use that example, or Mayock and, and Gruden in there. I know, I know Gruden, had, Gruden had a year to, to settle in, but you know somebody bringing their, their guy in and, and being a review, when do you think we'll start to see the chips fall a bit and this become a bit clearer? You know, I, it's, it's tough to estimate because I went back and looked at the coaches that got hired last year, and I don't think hardly any of those situations were also hiring a general manager. A lot of those guys were hired the first week after the season was over, and I think the pandemic complicates stuff as well because I, I I would hope that there's a thought process that they can safely interview in person at some point. I know that these people want to meet these guys, show them around the facilities, um, and and get a better sense of of those guys more so than just interviewing them over you know a, a Zoom call uh, or a video call. Um, so I think this process takes a little bit longer, and obviously if you end up with and Eric Bieniemy, and they make a Super Bowl run. You're not announcing that till February, so maybe you announce the GM uh, late January, and then you know second week of February, you're talking about uh, you know someone who's played in the Super Bowl uh, that you're that you're that you're announcing as uh, the next head coach. Um, I, I, it's tough to put my finger on a timeline. I'd be just flat out guessing if I gave, if I picked yeah. one or the other. Uh, I would hope it's 
honestly, I would hope it's um it's two different ones. I don't want the combo. I want each of these guys who are going to be um, leaders and the the authors of the future of the Houston Texans. I want them each to have their moment to shine, and I want them each to have their moment to endear themselves to the fan base. And I think a combo press conference doesn't do that quite as well as two separate press conferences where those guys get to show off you know, everything about themselves. And by the way, you know, if the coach is second, you get to ask him about the GM. If the GM's second, you get to ask him about the coach. Um, and you know, whoever's first, you get to ask about the second. So there's yeah. plenty of fun things to be had from from a multi press conference setting. So that's what I'm rooting for. And in terms of all that, you know, you said there's a change in landscape. What do you think the best we can hope for? I think my in terms of the new regime, a new outlook, I think my one, if I was to pick that you can no longer call it the AFC South champions you've just got to call it the qualifiers because that's all it is and we need to want to change the mindset i think of this franchise we want to be looking above and beyond you know where we've been because that's that's what the talent of deshaun requires is there anything you'd love to see you know the frustrations that we've had from this old kind of limited you know ceiling imposed leadership that we've had in the past i you know i just the thought process i've had this whole time is the general manager or the decision maker or whatever you want to call what Bill O'Brien did for the past two seasons has just been so bad. And the head, the head coach and his coaching staff and all everything else has been so bad that anything you've gotten really the past year plus has been gravy. And the next guys, even if they're average at the job, it will feel like a huge improvement from what the previous regime has and if they're really good at their jobs, I mean, you, you could be moving in, in warp speed to change the outlook of this Houston Texans team. And so that's what I'm looking for is different is going to be new and is going to be better because it would be very difficult to be worse than what Bill O'Brien did to this franchise. So I think that's where I'm at with both the head coach spot the and, and the general manager spot is different and new is going to be better be, by virtue of not being Bill O'Brien. Yeah, that's right. You've got to hope that the only way is up for this franchise after a tough season ending on Sunday going 4-12. and 12. Thanks very much for Corey Stutes from Sports Illustrated for his time. Hopefully we'll be back in the next couple of weeks to talk about the hiring of a GM and a head coach like Corey said. So please check us out on podcasttexts.com, at Podcast Texting on Twitter and on Facebook. I'll see you again soon. 